It's about time we got back to a David Cronenberg movie. Scanners is a sci-fi thriller about a dangerous group of telepaths led by the delightful Michael Ironside. It's basically Cronenberg's take on the X-Men, and you can't tell us that's not at least intriguing. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me is David. I come in peace. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together, we talk about a sci-fi movie. And in this episode, we are looking at David Cronenberg's Scanners from 1981. This was a Patreon vote winner. The three choices were all sort of cult classics or cult favorites from the 80s. And Scanners beat out Communion and... Life Force was the other one. Did my second? Okay. I got there. But yeah. So. I mean, not knowing that much about any of the films, Scanners is definitely the standout one for me. Yeah. I mean, part of me was hoping for Communion just because it's the only one that I hadn't seen before, but mm. I mean, it, that, was a, that was a mild reason at, at best. But uh, we'll, we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. Before we get into it, I'll just say that if you enjoy the show, do hit the like button if you're on YouTube. It helps us out a lot if you do. And if you want to support us, you can do so over at patreon.com slash TV and get some bonus content as well as just help keep the show going. I'll tell you more about what the bonus shows are at the end of the episode. But Scanners is a movie about telepaths. Mm. It's a movie about a secret sort of almost like... So, it's almost like mutants in the X-Men universe, but there's like a whole group of them sort of starting to mm-hmm. kind of rise up. And it's about trying to take down uh, an evil scanner, uh, which is what the, the main character's tasked with. But we'll get into all the specifics a, a little bit later. Uh, yeah. But most notably, though, this movie is very famous for a certain scene where someone's head goes boom. I, As soon as we got to it, I was immediately flooded back to like 2008 with all the reaction gifts on forums and whatnot, because that was one of the most like, oh, I want to show somebody said something super interesting, mind blown, head explosion. And it was just everywhere for a while. It's very possibly the best head explosion on film. There's there's, mm-hmm. there's very little competition. There's some other good ones, don't get me wrong. Choppy Mall has a good one. Uh, I've not seen Deadly Friends yet, but I have seen the gif of the basketball making someone's head explode. That's uh, mm. that's a fun one. But okay. this movie's you know it's got it's got the it's got the prestige of of best <laughs> head explosion. That's fair. So yeah so yeah david Cronenberg, obviously a well-renowned director ace has done a few mm-hmm. of his movies before uh i mean a, a, a few, you know a few not not a, not a ton of them i think streams has done one or two of the ones that fall into more of the horror camp but mm-hmm. scanners is very much kind of it's an interesting period for Cronenberg because he'd done his sort of early 70s stuff and this was him maybe starting to get a little bit more of like a, a budget a little bit more of you know, we got Michael Ironside in this. Not that he's a huge star by any means, but... Uh, a recognizable name, at least. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if he was in 1981, but certainly th- this movie probably helped make him a recognizable name. Because mm. he's Michael Ironside. He's a B-movie <laughs> sort of, I don't know, royalty, I guess. <laughs> so... Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, lo- looking at his filmography beforehand, there is a lot of films he's been in. Uh, beforehand, though... Sorry, it's just taking a second to load up. I mean, just after this, he had uh, Top Gun, which I would say is a bigger success, obviously. Oh, for sure, yeah. Let's see here. Before that, oh, yeah, he had a whole 
like 10 credits to his name before this. So I think this was probably the biggest one that he got out before then. Yeah, so I don't say he plays the villain. He plays Daryl Revick. So he's the mm-hmm. bad guy in the movie. Uh, Patrick McGoon uh, plays the the heroic. Actually, no, sorry, sorry, he doesn't. He plays the doctor. Patrick McGoon's the doctor yes. who works for the company, who's got all the, the sciencey answers. Uh, he's actually quite famous. He's been on a bunch of stuff over the years. I think back in the day, he was most known for a, a limited series called The Prisoner, uh, mm. a UK show. But he's been in a bunch of things. I just clicked on his name. He was in Braveheart, apparently, and he was in Escape from Alcatraz. Like he's just—he's a very prolific actor. Yeah, uh, he had a uh, top billing above everybody else, I think, in this one. I think yeah, he was, he was the, the first one. Yeah, he's the star. Yeah, that they, they brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Stephen Lack plays Cameron Vale, who's kind of our main hero type character, and then Jennifer O'Neill plays Kim uh, Ob- Obrist, who is our our. Uh, Love interest doesn't seem right because it's not really a romance, but she's the yeah, she's the lady. It, it, the best way I would describe it is for fans of Doctor Who, she's the companion. She's the one who's just <laughs> brought around on the adventure here. Ah, yeah. If that's, if that's the comparison we have to make to, to explain <laughs> it, I guess I'll go with it. I'm, not happy I'm sorry. About it, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out which sci-fi is okay to say on this show. Doctor <laughs> Who, no, got it. <laughs> Uh, look look if they go into a, a telephone box and travel through time i'll, I'll accept the, the comparison okay okay all right, right. I'll, remember that. I'll remember that from when we do bill and ted <laughs> so yeah i, I mean I, I had seen this before but to be honest it had been such a long time that it was practically like watching it for the first time again like I, I remembered a couple of the famous scenes but everything else like i couldn't have told you like how the movie flowed at all so it was practically a first time watch again and you i assume hadn't seen this before yep definitely the only thing i knew about it was that gif and i didn't even know the context for that gif either so that was the extent of all of it even just reading the poster i was like oh it's about telepaths okay the brain explosion makes sense then and that seems surprisingly early in the movie as well. Is that mm-hmm. you, you would think if you'd only seen that gif, you would think, oh, that's a big thing at the end. That's like your end, that's your climax of the movie. No, yeah. no, ten minutes in. <laughs> well, I, I read a thing of trivia where apparently it was pretty much the opening scene, and then Cronenberg rearranged it for people who were coming into the theater late because they knew that's the whole reason they were showing up. Ah, so he built in, he built in ten minutes of stuff beforehand just to yeah yeah I yeah I could see how you could put the stuff that's before it just after and it wouldn't really affect the the flow too much right yeah. exactly and the first one would be much more of an eye catch in terms of getting the audience engaged yeah but they have to account I, I guess in this time period it was really common to not show up until five minutes into the movie so he just mm-hmm. he's making sure everyone's seated before yeah, the because I mean when when was it the trailers shifted to before the movie was that around this time a little bit after i have no idea yeah because that used to be the trailers were afterwards so the movie would just start at the time that it said it would start and then mm. you'd see all the new stuff after yeah i wasn't alive yet so i'm i'm i'm, un- I'm unfamiliar yeah <laughs> so yeah so i mean we'll, we'll we'll start with the the simple question as we usually do david what did mm. you think of scanners I think it's a really cool concept. I think it does a good dive into it. It does feel a little bit like a bunch of collected scenes rather than a really wholesale through line right up until you get to the end. And then it's like, oh, here was the whole reason that we had all these sort of collected scenes. I think the 
biggest thing it has going for it is the special effects. Like, obviously, it's just super well done. And the final little fight scene that they have is just incredibly done to the point where I'm still, even though it's over 40 years old now, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how they did it because it was just that impressive looking. Um, in terms of negative, I think that they would have gotten a better performance out of a plank of wood in regards to the main actor. <laughs> like, dear Lord, he was stilted as hell. Uh, uh, I mean, but yeah, overall, I'd say I enjoyed it in general. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's going opposing Michael Ironside mm -hmm. uh, and then even his mentor, the Dr. Ruth, like he, that's Patrick McGoon's, uh, or McGoohan, I don't know how he's pronounced his last name. But they obviously are the, the the stars of the movie. You know, one was a veteran at the time. The other one, arguably this up-and-comer who is very mm. memorable, even if he's not necessarily a huge name yet. Like, I can't think of, like, Total Recall without thinking of Michael Ironside or several yeah. of the other things that he's been in. Yeah, I, I like the movie quite a bit. I think it's got a cool tone. I love the underground sort of grimy vibe of, like, these this underground group of scanners and... I like a lot of the key sequences. I do kind of agree, though, that it's a, a series of great individual sequences mm -hmm. rather than something where I feel like this pulls through a, a story where I'm really invested in the overall narrative. But right. like, I think the, the, the famous head explosion scene, but even everything that comes after that where they try and arrest Michael Ironside's character, I won't say what happens in the rest of it, but everything that happens mm -hmm. after that I think is... I think the direction for all that stuff is phenomenal. I think he feels like such a menace of a character. He feels very threatening. It feels like a big deal. Um, and sadly, I wish there was more of him in the movie. I feel like he's he's kind of just, yeah. you know, you see him occasionally throughout, but other than his opening, his big opening stuff and then his big, you know, conclusion at the end, he's kind of just got the odd cameo as opposed to having actual scenes where he's really performing and, and doing a lot of stuff. So... Mm. Um, I do wish there was more of him, but I, 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 I do think the movie is very entertaining, and I think the mm. overall vibe of of a lot of its big sequences is really good. Um, I yeah. do have to agree though that the probably the biggest downside, other than maybe just the the driving force going through the story, is probably that Cameron Vale as a character feels like. He's just like a hollow shell, <laughs> rather than yeah. someone that we want to root for or someone who we can really get behind and maybe maybe as the casting maybe as the you know not to put it all on Stephen lack the actor but may, maybe it's him that's the problem mm -hmm. maybe the character's underwritten i'm not entirely sure what to blame it on and completely but i mean for me it feels like one of those things where as we discovered throughout the story the character himself like to himself is kind of a blank slate he doesn't have a lot of his memories or anything like that he doesn't know a lot about who he is and I think that might be like a choice by the actor to say, oh, he is kind of a blank slate. He's just supposed to be like an everyman here. But it, it it's just when it comes across acting wise before that stuff is revealed and even after it's revealed, it just comes across like this is this guy's first day acting and he is just giving it his high school best. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, just, I'm going to click on his name here because I don't really know him from anything else. I wonder if he's... Mm -hmm. Uh, he he wasn't another one called like Rubber Gun or something like that, which he got some praise for, but I've never heard of it. So, well, he's in Dead Ringers, which is another Cronenberg movie which I've not seen. As mm -hmm. sci-fi, I think. Uh, okay, so that's something to to look at later. I'm, I'm going to double check. I'm right. I'm going to say that though. Uh, 
Uh, well, no, it's a drama, horror, thriller. Maybe it isn't sci-fi. Uh, Jeremy Irons as twin gynecologists. Yes. All yes. right, Cronenberg, stay in your wheelhouse there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not got a big list of stuff actually. Like the, the yeah, that, that's pretty much it. He's just got a few things that I've never heard of. So. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, maybe it is him. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's why he's not had like a huge career, is that he isn't exactly bursting with charisma. Yeah, and really that's the biggest thing, is charisma. Because like you said, him standing next to uh, Michael Ironside for a lot of these scenes, it's just night and day in terms of how they're playing this off. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, so... I, I would say I quite like it, though, overall, though. Um, but regardless of that, I think there's so many other strengths that are in it. And like you say, it's a cool concept. There's a lot of really cool sequences and cool ideas with how they're handling the scanners existing in the world and how they're being approached. There's definitely some stuff they could have developed further, and part of that is because, of course, I've seen other stories have this type of concept. If it's not with with, with uh, telepaths, and maybe with something else. In fact, one of the things that this made me think of a little bit uh, well, I can't really say is why exactly until mm. we get spoilers, but I will say there's actually a comparison I'm going to make with Blade Runner later on. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about that there. But I mean, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on of X-Men because it's just this idea of there's this hidden underground group with special powers that come from normal humans. And there's and, a villainous group and there's a, a more good group. And yeah, yeah. One is fighting on the side of humanity, the other is fighting for domination. It's pretty much just X-Men, except all of them have the same power. Here's a question. When Cronenberg made this mm. uh, in 1981, yes. do you think he had ever read an X-Men comic? <sighs> Tough to say. I know that comics were a hell of a lot bigger in the 80s than they are even modern day. Mm-hmm. I would think... Yes, if I just had to put money on it, because obviously the X-Men were big during their run in the 60s and such. I imagine that little Kitty Cronenberg at some point would have been handed an X-Men comic. Ah, but that's the thing, though. It wasn't that big in the 60s because it got cancelled, right? It didn't really get big until the 70s relaunch. And I'm wondering oh, if Cronenberg was too old by that point to get drawn into X-Men. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I guess on one hand, I just, I think of Cronenberg as being a little too up his own art house ass <laughs> to <laughs> want to read a superhero comic. However, what is this filth? however, he does, he does have a small role in Jason X, which maybe also indicates that he enjoys some schlock. So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to, I'm, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Cause it, it wouldn't. The the idea of someone saying, "Hey, it's going to be like the X Men, but they're all Xavier." Like if that, if someone mm -hmm. pitched it like that, I would understand that obviously the way he visually represents stuff is going beyond what x-men's ever done with those powers oh, yeah. absolutely <laughs> so, uh, and it does a couple of cool little takes as to what telepathy actually is in this movie as well that does feel unique to this movie's version of telepathy so uh mm -hmm. we'll talk about that as well when we get into the into the spoilers uh yep. i do like i do like how the movie looks though i like i like the overall feel of it and the the vibe mm -hmm. that i get from it there was one sequence very early on where they're watching essentially a film reel of Ironside's character. And I don't know why, but maybe it's the fact that it was purposely made to look old. That sequence felt like something right out of like a modern day Netflix show. 
like it felt like it was very modernly shot because it was all done via what was supposed to be like security cams and stuff like that. And it just really caught me off guard because they just do a sudden cut to it. But it really gave me this tone of like, no, this is extremely unsettling just because it does feel so like it's happening even now. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that stuff. I like I like how traumatized they all seem to be. Like, it really treats it differently from... Because, I mean, obviously, X-Men hits at the idea that, yeah, like, all these mutants are being mistreated because they're different and stuff. But this really paints it as, no, no, some of these people are screwed up and, like, accidentally killed people when they were young because of these powers kicking oh, yeah. in they didn't understand. Uh, it's, it's every single character is not only Xavier, but also Rogue. Yes. Of killing their boyfriends. <laughs> so, you got that. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get into the uh, spoilers? Um, I can't say not really. The only thing that I would want to just put a little bit further on is what I meant when I said that it was kind of just a collection of scenes. Because, yes, this movie does have an opening. It does set up these stakes of there's good scanners that are working with our main character and Dr. Ruth. And then there are bad scanners who are working with Michael Ironside. But... In between that opening setup and the final part, it just kind of feels like our main character of Cameron is just idly wandering and just happening to like stumble into these things that further the plot. It doesn't feel like he's actually doing like it doesn't feel like there's a straight through line of I have found a therefore B and then C and then D. It's just like, yeah. ah, I'll figure it out. I get like technically it is there because I can tell you exactly mm-hmm. why he goes from A to B to C, but mm-hmm. I agree it doesn't feel like it. It feels like he is just kind of stumbling into different scenarios and things are happening. And right. I, 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 I actually went back. There was a point where he encounters a group of scanners that are just around for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how he figured out that group was there. I just, maybe I just missed like a line or something. <laughs> no, I can like, tell I you. I can, there's a reason. There's a reason. All right, fair enough. I can tell you. Uh, so, yeah, I think one of the things you have to remember when you're watching this movie is that there's several times when one of them gets information by using their powers and they don't say it out loud. Right, yeah. So there's a natural, there's a natural knock-on to how he gets there. It's just not said out loud, I don't think. Hmm. So... Yeah, all right, spoilers then for Scanners. You've been warned. Uh, we're, we're going to dive into the movie now. If if we're going into spoilers, I, I just want to remind the audience, I do homework every week. Oh, of course, so the, yes, yes. At the yes. end of the review, I'm going to be talking about a totally different movie that Pete's already talked about. That's right. Uh, every week for the next 190-something episodes, <laughs> David's going to <laughs> go back and watch one of the movies that me and Tara did so that he can catch up and have seen them all and mm-hmm. be well-versed in science fiction because right now he's like a little noob. He's a little nooby noob noob. What's, what's, a, what's a mutant? What's a time machine? I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> so yeah, spoilers for Scanners. Uh, the movie opens on Cameron, who's effectively just like a vagrant. Who just he's he's in like a mall and he's, he's in a food court, and these two ladies are just like talking about how disgusted he is, <laughs> which is is really you know it's, it's really mean spirited. But he starts to react while she's saying all these things, and then that sort of has like a sort of a rebound effect where she starts to like have like a nosebleed and then starts to effectively have spasms and she's on the floor and people are dealing with her and then these two guys in like trench coats who are like agents like start firing tranquilizer darts at him and he's so there's a bit of a chase sequence through them all yeah and they eventually get to him 
And this is all, and I can see how this actually came after the other stuff first. Now, I'm, now that I know that and I'm thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, this would have made sense to come after, but I get why he's done it. I understand yeah. why he's done it. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a cold open where we're, okay, we don't know who this guy is. We don't really understand the concept of a scanner yet, but clearly he was affecting this woman with his mind. But he's mm-hmm. strapped to a table and we meet Dr. Ruth. Who comes in and you know he's got he's, he looks like a doctor as well. He's got a beard and a tweed jacket. He's you know he's got that. Oh yeah, vibe. he's straight up Freud, like one hundred percent. And these people come in the room and sit in the benches, and Cameron's strapped to a bed, and the doctor's like, just you know, try and control it. Listen to the people in the room, Cameron. Just listen to them. And eventually, he gives him an injection of a drug, uh, mf mfrol. Ephemeral? Ephemeral. That's right. Ephemeral, yes. Uh, And he's like, okay, now you can relax. And that's kind of where this this cold opening segment wraps up. And then we go Mm. to what turns out is the original opening of the movie, which is someone from the company, right, that Dr. Ruth works for. uh, Mm -hmm. Kemsek? Is that him? Konsek. Konsek, thank you. Which is just like a private military company. It's just like BlackRock or something. And we have this guy, this is the famous head explosion guy, right? And he's mm-hmm. he's got like a small audience in this little lecture theater and he's explaining what a scanner is. He's explaining that people, some people can, can do stuff with their mind and he wants a volunteer and, you know, no one's saying yes, but then eventually Michael Ironside, Revic, puts up his hand and he comes down. Who, in fairness, when he volunteers, he doesn't seem like he's menacing about it. If you didn't know he was the villain in this movie, he just seems like a guy who's totally willing to cooperate with this little experiment. I half agree with that. And the reason why I say half agree is because there's something about the bro and Michael Ironside that always looks menacing to me. (laughs) Mm, Fair enough. Well, that is one of his main character things that we see. He has a circular-shaped scar right in between his eyebrows here, which we discover why later. That'll come up in a bit, yeah. Uh, But yeah, he just comes down and he sits down and the guy's like, okay, think of something personal that no one else would know and Mm. he's going to scan him and and tell the audience what, what he's thinking about. Yeah. Uh, so he tries to do it, but of course, this is all a trap. Michael Ironside is a scanner, a powerful scanner at that, and mm. instead, like, fights back. And the guy, the scanner who's trying to do this as a demonstration to the audience, starts to shake violently until his head explodes. And it is glorious, this practical yeah. effect. They, they, they built a prosthetic head with blood and gunk in it, and they I, I detonated believe I read it. it was- it was blood, fake blood, dog food, and some other meats, and then they blew it up from behind with a 12-gauge shotgun. Oh, was it just a shotgun? That's, that's cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the dog food, yeah, it looks like brain matter. Yeah, cover, yeah. cover it in some fake blood. That'll look like brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes sense. So, Michael Ironside tries to skedaddle, but the security team are like, no, 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 you're coming with us. Like, and he's like, no, I didn't do it. And so they take Michael Ironside, and they're in a car with him, holding him at gunpoint, and there's another car as well with more agents in it. So they're both driving down the road, and we get this big set piece where Michael Ironside starts to use his powers in the car. He makes the other car that he's not in crash, and this car just bursts into flames as soon as it oh, hits yeah. a pole. It's, really, it's actually a little bit comical just how quickly it's completely on fire. There are two things that are different in the scanners universe and our universe. <laughs> One is that there are scanners. Two is that if you so much as stub your toe, you're going to burst into flames. 
That is fair. And but we see how dangerous he is though, because he makes these other guards like shoot themselves, right? He mm-hmm. just like makes them point the gun at themselves and shoot, and he you know he gets out and it it feels like, oh, this was a great entrance for a villain. Like he feels like this this threat who can make anyone do anything he he thinks about. Yeah. And it's this this big introduction. And it leads us into what the plot of the movie is, which is we go to the company, uh, Comsec, and there are, there's the board meeting. They're around the table. Doctor uh, Ruth's there, and they're like, "Okay, we've brought in this new military like guy to run the the security." And mm. this guy's like, "Look, clearly, these this old scanner thing is is a lost cause. You should drop the program immediately." And Doctor Ruth's like, "Hey, didn't a powerful scanner just infiltrate?" or like meeting and kill someone really easily isn't that a good reason why we should have our own scanners to combat that because it feels like we've already got an opposition that have scanners yeah i i get what he's saying and obviously him being on the side of good as the movie has decided it is it makes sense that he's going to want to do that but there's something about that reasoning where it's like, well, I mean, if our enemies have nukes, we've got to have nukes, too. And it's like, maybe that's not the best thing to say here. Yeah, I mean, I do kind of get it, though, because, like, if he's going to start actually targeting people that mm. are important, like, yeah, you probably do want, you probably want, like, some scanner to be on the Secret Service to protect the president in case another scanner tries to assassinate him. Yeah, it reminds me, I was actually reading a uh, comic, like, a month or two ago. And they were basically describing, okay, superheroes exist in the universe. How did the White House, like, security change because of it? And they show that there's, like, this hall that's been outfitted with, like, all these anti-mental projection stuff. And, like, they're able Mm. to detect telepathy and reverse it. And it feels like it's that sort of thing where this world has already gotten to the point where it knows scanners are a thing. And they are already taking steps to not only weaponize them, but also protect themselves from their attacks. Yeah. And so basically what we learn here between this scene and then some of the stuff where uh, the doctor then is explaining this to Cameron, because Cameron's basically his chosen one. He's like, why don't we send someone in to infiltrate his bad group of scanners? And that's what he wants Cameron to be. He wants Cameron mm-hmm. to go find uh, Revic, infiltrate, and retrieve information if not just outright kill revic and stop it a stop to it Uh, but what we find out is that revic has built up a team of his own scanners he somehow got a list of all the scanners and by the end it's actually it makes some sense how there how there's a list Mm because at this point in the movie we're like so is this just a natural thing that scanners are being born like how could there be a list that knows who everyone is Uh, by the end it makes sense actually why there's a list because they explicitly say, like, all right, there are 237 scanners. They don't say, like, we know of 237 scanners. Yeah. They say specifically, there are 237 scanners. And, and Revic, we've lost track of all of them. Revic's going around and making them join his cause. And if they refuse, he's killing them. So mm-hmm. it really gives this really nasty impression where maybe Cameron is the only one left who might not be on the bad guy's side. Obviously, we do find some later. We find a small group of like people who have been holding out uh, that that have not joined up with Revic, although Revic clearly is coming for them and has sent people to yeah. kill them. So They've decided that it's best to stay out of the fight entirely, not on Revic's side, but also not helping fight against him. So... This is this is all your setup. So it's a very interesting world that the movie set up, like quite mm-hmm. early on here, where it's like, okay, it's like the common public don't know about all these scanners yet, but clearly 
this you know military corporation do and the fact that there's this uprising from evil scanners led by this guy who wants to basically revolt and like make more scanners he wants to you know Mm -hmm. take control of everything magneto it's very magneto it's also like when we get to later on and we find out that they're all created effectively by dr ruth he's behind them Mm -hmm. all i'm like this is where the blade runner comparison came into me is like much like the scientist or the inventor in that created all the replicants and you've got this replicant who's now revolting and wants to be independent and like you know rule effectively Mm-hmm. That's kind of something I was drawing comparisons from, and they're, you know they're not that oh, yeah. far apart. Listen, this came out a year before Blade Runner. Blade Runner was was already in production by the time this came out, so it's not like one copied the other or anything like that. Uh, I just, although I will say one of the uh, major things, and I think it kind of contributed to the idea that this didn't feel like it had a super strong through line, is that apparently production, not post production, but just production itself was condensed down to two months, and they didn't have a script finished when they had to start filming. Uh, so okay. it's as much as you say, like, you know, obviously Blade Runner was filming before this, but, like, it was substantially filming before this because this was very much shortened down. This was, this, this was a quick and dirty shoot, so, yeah, Blade Runner mm-hmm. was definitely already full swing by the time this was getting made. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, it's just an, it's an interesting comparison point. It, was a, a, it definitely made me think of it a little bit. Um mm-hmm. When it, at the end when he was talking about Dr. Uh, Ruth being their father, which I didn't think he meant literally their father either, but then he explained, no, no, we're actually, he's actually biologically, I thought he just meant he created the, the scanners, yeah. so he's all our father. But no, no, you two are literally brothers and he's your dad. It's his sperm that made you, okay. Which, like, I get it, and it makes that, that ending reveal of, like, you know, the Darth Vader, I am your brother thing a little bit punchier but it also kind of feels like it takes away a little bit where how convenient is it that these two super powerful ones just happen to be brothers together i don't know it it seemed more symbolic and poetic to me when they were just metaphorically siblings along with the other 270 rather than actual siblings well it's not a coincidence that's the big thing is that it's explained that these two are the two oldest scanners because they were actually tested with this drug because the whole thing as we find out at the end is that this drug was marketed in a small demographic right it wasn't like a nationwide thing but it was mm-hmm. promoted to pregnant women and it didn't do the effect it was supposed to have but the side effect is that the babies ended up being scanners and dr uh, ruth he gave this to his wife before it was ever given to anyone else and that's why the two old scanners or these two brothers that mm-hmm. predate all the other scanners so it's like okay so it's not a coincidence they're brothers um it is interesting though because because I, w- I was wondering there's a whole big thing where when dr ruth dies there's a whole thing where he starts to like get really kind of guilty and starts monologuing mm-hmm. internally about like the past and about this right program and it does feel like oh there's something to reveal here he clearly feels guilty about something but in the moment it's actually not that clear what he's feeling bad about or what's going you know what's going through his head right it's, it's very confusing the, the, the first time but then when you get mm-hmm. to the end and you get the explanation it's like okay he feels guilty about creating the scanners and he definitely feels guilty about abandoning his two sons because he didn't care about them oh yeah Yeah. in fact i don't know again how much of michael ironside you can take literally in what he's saying or how much it's just lies because obviously he is willing to lie to get ahead Mm -hmm. here but he explains to cameron that basically cameron was kept on ice 
and was basically pulled out of cryo sleep whenever it was apparent that Michael Ironside was too much of a threat. And Dr. Ruth realized that Cameron is the only one who stands a chance yeah. of taking him down. This detail was kind of interesting to me because I wasn't sure how literal he was being. Because obviously, mm. so the way the first couple of scenes would have played maybe a little bit better after the whole like seminar with the head explosion and the introduction of, of Revic mm. is that the doctor says, hey, there's someone that I can bring in who we can maybe train to go after Revic, right? And then right. if you're saying, okay, so that's why he goes and tracks down his other son and right. trains him up, you know, and they, they, do, they even have like a scene where they have like someone come in and he's like, okay, Cameron, I want you to slow down this guy's heart, but don't kill him. <laughs> well, they, specifically this guy, apparently he's like a yoga like yes. guy who can 100% control his own heart rate and stuff like that. So he's actually a good counter to all of the other scanners in order to not let his heart explode. But Cameron is so strong and so chosen one that he's able to override this guy's own powers over himself and almost explode his heart. I, I think because he, he called the room a mental gymnasium, and I thought, mm. oh, we're going to get a full training sequence of all these different little mental tasks that he can do to test his powers. Mm. Uh, but this is actually where we learn the, uh, the 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 interesting bit of how they're tackling telepathy in this movie, is that he explains that telepathy is not just connecting to someone else's mind, and that's what it usually is, really. Mm is that it's more about connecting to the entire nervous system. And the brain's obviously the, the main part of that. But right. it, you can connect to other things. And it's like, hey, you can literally slow down or speed up the heart. And this even comes up later where the idea of him <laughs> connecting to a computer nervous system comes up. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll yeah. That. I got words for that part, but all right. So like, I, I thought this was an interesting twist on typical telepathy and how it mm -hmm. tends to be handled. And I'm like, okay, all right. So this is a little bit different. It makes like a full body thing as opposed to just the, you know, the mental battles that you, you may otherwise get. Yeah, I also enjoy how, because when you change it into a nervous system thing, it changes it from just basic telepathy and suggestion of like, oh, I'm mind controlling you to move your arm or whatever. This form allows you to physically, even against the person's will, move their arm. You can control their bodies while they're still conscious of the fact that they are not in control of it, which just adds a little bit extra to that body horror aspect to it of not being in control of your own body when they're linked up with you. Yeah, and it's it's not full on telekinesis though, because you can't just move a chair because that's not mm -hmm. a, you know a living thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it uh, it's a nice little twist on things. I I, I appreciate that. But, like, all of this stuff, though, it makes sense that if, if you did start with the, the head explosion scene in the introduction of the villain, it would make sense that all of this comes after. Whereas as the movie presents it, it's like he goes and finds Cameron first, and mm -hmm. then this stuff happens, and he's, he's already got him, and he says, hey, we've got someone that we can use. It still yeah, works, it, but it's, it's, it's definitely a little bit different. It feels more like this idea that the government is always on the lookout for scanners, and yes. anytime one of them makes themselves apparent, they just take him in. And so they found Cameron and took him in. But it, through the way that I think it was originally supposed to be presented, it's obviously they only took him in because they needed him against yeah. Michael Ironside, which, by the way, he is a name. I should say that. Uh, Revic. Revic. That's right. I've said, I've said it every time I brought him up. Quite That's fine. I just I, I'm so much more on the first names than the last names, and I Revic. couldn't remember Daryl. Yeah. 
So, oh yeah, I never, I never called him Daryl. That just never came up yeah. once. So, yeah, no, I, I think when you look back at the way this movie starts, when he's saying this at the end about, you know, you were on ice and that's why you don't really remember your childhood. Like, okay, that he doesn't remember his childhood. That's a fair point to bring up. And he, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He says, no, yeah, I don't remember any of that stuff. But at the same time, the opening of the movie implied to me more that he was just kind of living as a drifter for a long time. So I don't know right. when he was... Like, if, if he was literally on ace at some point, as he puts yeah. it. Like, I don't think he was just woken up right before that scene. It feels like... No, 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 maybe, like, his childhood was all kind of in a tank or something, but then... Well, yeah, because that know. was... Revit specifically pointed out the lines of saying, you were on ice, but then he also said, like, and he lets you live in the gutter for all that yes. time. So, obviously, there must have been some time period where Cameron was out in the world just being watched before he was actually brought What's... in here, but then it raises the question of why was he thought out at that point? Yeah, which is why I don't think it's a literal thing that it means you were on ice. I think he just means you're on ice as in you're cut off from him, you're cut off from the Mm. connections, and you're just sort of left on your own. He was purposely left off the list, so that way, theoretically, uh, Revik wouldn't be able to find him. But obviously, being brothers, he always knew he was kind of out there. Yeah, so, like, I I think think the mythology they set up in here is quite interesting, by Mm. and large. Yeah. it, it's, it's funny though because it really only comes into it in the last scene for the most part right. and it is good like everything they bring up in the last scene I actually do really like uh, but so much in the movie is actually just kind of him trying to track down Revik and it starts off with them sending him to an artist who is a scanner who accidentally killed some of his family mm-hmm. uh, and he spent time in an institution they also show him the, the footage of, of Revik in an institution where he, he drilled a hole in his head because he wanted to give yeah. himself a an exit for the the people to get out and this is this is speaking to the idea that he was you know he kind of felt crazy because he was hearing all these other voices in his head from other people and this Mm -hmm. was kind of his reaction to it and maybe you could say oh this is another example of how cruel dr ruth is is that he didn't like explain to him and didn't like teach him what this is and how to control it or anything he was kind of left to suffer it effectively yeah because that's the thing that the movie makes very clear is that this is not something of like selective telepathy. If you don't know how to control it, you are just taking in input from everyone around you all the time. And it is absolute hell for any of the scanners. But then counteract that with Dr. Ruth has this drug, ephemeral, that not only creates the scanners, but also when applied to them as adults, it essentially removes their scanning ability temporarily. It lets it well, quiet down. I don't think it removes the ability, but it just it takes away all the excess noise because I, I think they still True, have their yeah. ability to like still if they want to actively do something, they can still do it. I mean, yes, but no, because there was that one part when they're brought into the military base and they are told that they have to take ephemeral before going in. And oh, Dr. Ruth points out saying, like, I gave you a fake one, so you're able to defend yourselves. No, you're quite right. The reason why I was saying that, though, is because earlier on in the movie, it felt like he, like, uh, Cameron was out doing stuff and using his powers. And then mm-hmm. it was like, it was almost like he needed a top up and he wanted to get more of it. Um, yeah. And I, I felt like he, he'd been on it still, even though he was using his powers. But I guess you're right. Yeah. They, 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 they do explicitly say later on that they try to give it to them so they can't fight back if the if the occasion mm. arises. I think the way that I would equate it is the equivalent of like pain relief for like like normal 
pain over like a person's life. Well, I'm blanking on the word for some reason, but like someone has a recurring injury or something like that. Obviously, the pain's always going to be there. Chronic is that the word you're looking for? Chronic, that's the word. Yes. Um, someone you know has chronic pain. The pain's always going to be there. And at the start, like right after the injury, you need a lot in order to kind of deal with the pain as it first starts. But over time, you need less and less of it to be able to mm. function. So I think that, it, you know, he takes ephemeral at the beginning and he says he needs a top up because he's still new to this. He still doesn't know how to control it entirely. Meanwhile, by the end of the film, it seems like he's got a much better grasp over it and he's able to do it even while ephemeral's in his system. Yeah, so he goes to this artist, or he tries to anyway. Like the artist isn't at his show because he isn't like mm-hmm. meeting the public, and the gallery guy is like not telling him where where he lives. But of course, he's a scanner, so he just like will think about where he lives, and he's like, "What?" And then he starts <laughs> reading his mind. So yeah. it's like, okay, that makes sense. But there's also a woman there who turns out to be uh, Kim, or one of our other sort of not main characters, but you know, mm-hmm. relatively main. And she's clearly paying attention to this. So when he goes to the artist's home, he knows he's coming because this Kim has told him. Okay. And he he's asking questions, uh, you know, about stuff. And the art the artist is like, you know, I can't help you. Like I, I'm, I can't help you at all. And as they're having their conversation, there's guys with shotguns coming to this like barn that these art studio was in. So mm-hmm. we've got this sort of tension building as they're coming up to the house. And they're inside having this debate where he wants his help to find Revic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we get a really fun sequence here. Uh, like this is a really standout moment where they come in and they actually kill the artist. Like he gets blasted to bits uh, multiple times. I, I I love this sequence just for the lead up to him getting blasted because these people are in a very tight space. This is a mm. not huge studio. They have shotguns which are known for their spread. And yet they have missed seven times <laughs> in a row in shooting this guy. Yeah, but it's not like he's running away that much either because he, he does get hit. The first shot yeah. hits him and then they miss a bunch and then he gets hit again and yeah. you know, eventually goes down. Uh, and what's so funny is that the conversation when they were having it is they were having it in this giant sculpture that he's done of a head. So the mm-hmm. Cameron and this artist were inside this head and it's when the artist steps outside of the head that he gets shot. So Cameron's still in the head, and then he starts mm. using his powers, and all four of them start like you know feeling pain in their head, and then fly back. And at this point, I was questioning like, aren't these people scanners who have been sent by Revic? Or shouldn't they be able to like fight this because they're also scanners? And mm. I, I guess the implication is is that him and Revic are too powerful, like they're more powerful than everyone else. Yes and no. I mean, I agree that it seems like they are scanners, but I also question the fact of whether or not they actually are because, I mean, all they do is attack with the guns. And we know that people can be controlled by scanners. People can be, like, suggested Mm. into doing things. So it might just be he took a bunch of normal people as red shirts and sent them in there. That's possible. I think the more likely situation is that... So we find out the security guy that's working at the company is actually a traitor. He's a double agent. Mm-hmm. He's working for Revic. Um, it's entirely possible that this, this is his people that have came to oh, kill yeah, them. that's true. So they're just normal security guys. I mean, they're yeah. not, obviously they're not in uniform or anything. They're all in civilian clothes, but... Uh, yeah 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 i mean that makes more sense too so not even that they're controlled but they're just on the same side because their commanding officer said yeah hey go kill these guys 
Yeah. Uh, but the artist is still sort of, like, dying. He's not quite dead yet. And uh, Cameron's like, hey, you know, what can I do? Where, where do I go? And he's like, Kim, fine Kim. And I presume gives him the location to go, which is why he ends up at the next place. See, that's the part, the presuming. Like, I caught the find Kim, but then he just shows up there. He just figures it out. And I still have no idea how he managed that. Um, I think... Yeah, I think you can just sort of take it that he got enough from his yeah. head. He's li- literally telepaths. Like, this is, I think it's a fair... Oh, yeah, no. I mean, that's... I. It wasn't something that I was sitting there like, nope, my immersion has been broken. How did he find this place? Like, yeah, I'm willing to accept a lot when it comes down to you're able to just probe somebody's mind and pull out whatever you want. But it wasn't presented to the audience, which is what confused me for a minute because it just had that little bit of break in continuity. I mean, I, I really like this scene that we just talked about, uh, largely mm-hmm. because it's obviously his first big show of power because he defends himself by taking out four people, but oh, also yeah. just the imagery of him stepping out of this head because the front of it's been like damaged by one of the shotgun blasts. It's just a, a hell of a visual, especially since we're talking about telepathy, to actually have a scene where he comes out of a giant head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a very, very nice visual. I, I, th- I thought it was good. Yeah, no, it was symbolic as hell. I, I, I agree that it was a great scene. It was just... Like I said, every scene itself individually is very well yeah, directed. It's very well done. I'm going to say it's just say, a through line. I'm going to say the same about the next scene because he, go, he goes to find Kim and Kim's with a group of scanners who are not with Revic. They're trying to just stay off the grid. Mm-hmm. And they start like meditating together, but, but with their scanner powers, right? So it's not just meditation. It's like mm-hmm. we're all sort of like merging our minds together to try and have this shared experience and Cameron's mm. with them and they have this kind of like round the campfire st- I mean it's not a literal campfire because it's, it's in a apartment building it's, it's a lava lamp but they're sitting in a circle and they're they're chanting kind of together in their heads and it's like this sort of out of body experience and but again there's a group of people with shotguns coming to the building and I actually really like this scene because when they come in, like, I mean, they, they, I think they throw, like, one random guy who's in the building, like, off the stairs <laughs> on their way up. Yeah. But when they get into the room, like, the scanners don't know they're there because they're so, they're so entranced in, like, what they're doing with sharing their minds together. That the ba- Even though they're just technically red shirts because they're barely characters we know, I still thought it was quite dark how they just, like, shoot, like, three of them before they even, like, realize there's a threat. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. that's actually quite nasty and sinister. Yeah, it... it, it- this is one of the few things that shows like a major weakness of the scanners themselves is that it seems like when they're using their powers and especially the stronger it is that they're having to use their powers, the less sort of self-preservation they have. Because as we get to the phone scene later on, like he's using a lot of power in order to do this computer search. And as such, he is kind of like able to be hurt significantly when they launch a counterattack. They're very focused when they're using their powers, so it's not like they can, you know, if they get shot in the back while they're using their powers, they're going to get hit, this kind of thing. So, yeah. I, I I just I think it's a really cool scene, um, and at least a really fun chase sequence as well, where the him, Kim, and a couple of the others who are still alive go into this little school bus, and there's we get a bit of a car chase, and again, mm-hmm. like you know, this other van with the bad guys pulls up next to them and just starts firing shotgun blasts into them, and it kills almost everyone in the van except him and Kim. Like Cameron and Kim are the only ones that uh, they make it out. Yeah. Um, so I really like this part of the movie because like, I feel like the previous scene to this one and then this next bit where after the van crashes, like Kim and Cameron like try and hide in the basement of a store while there's a crime scene up above dealing with the crashes and all that. And we get this other guy with a shotgun 
coming down and this one is definitely a scanner actually because this is someone yeah. who's working with uh with revic but he comes down and again it's, it feels right it's almost like a scene from the terminator where you've got this guy with a shotgun under his coat like try to find his target to to take them out mm-hmm. and he comes down and it's just that cameron's strong enough to sort of like freeze him in place and get answers from him and this is how he finds out where revic is so they can mm-hmm. go and investigate what's happening. So yeah, he, he specifically pulls out a little bottle of the ephemeral at that point, but it's branded with like a company logo yeah. for whatever that biocarbon amalgamate is the name of the company. I mean, it so not, they just it really there. does not matter what the name yeah, was. Well, <laughs> well, the main thing though, is that we immediately follow up that scene with him going there and basically just faking his way inside to get some I, info. Actually comparing this to other things again, and bizarrely, most of the things I'm compared to came after, but, uh, <laughs> Although that's one technically not, but the, the version I'm compared to is this made me think a lot of the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers because you've got the, the mm-hmm. villains making something at a factory that they're going to use to make more of themselves. It's very right. it's very Body Snatchers. I really got the vibes of that. But yeah, yeah. like t- uh, Revic's there and he's they're, they're, they're shipping this drug ephemeral all over the country. And at this point, I was thinking, oh, this is just because they all need it to sort of like stay calm because it's hard to control their powers obviously right. as we get later on in the movie we get the big reveals that no 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 this is being used to create more scanners because if mm. you give this to pregnant women the the babies become scanners yeah so we, we he opens up one of the computers and sees a computer program called ripe and he tries to access it but it turns out that the only way you can access it is from concept computers and i think at this point in the movie it kind of tries to straddle that line of uh, concept clearly has a role in this and the question that you then have to start asking yourself is do you trust dr root yes. is this something that is like is he accidentally playing on the side of evil whereas ironside is revic is on the side of good yeah and the funny thing is is that obviously it's actually the security guy who's working with revic who's like using the the company's resources to help do all this but the company mm-hmm. itself doesn't really know about it and that's all fine but i think dr ruth himself is an interesting character because it's very clear that while he has kind of noble intentions right now to try and stop revic he clearly has done a lot of shady stuff in the past with his decisions that he's made with this drug with his sons with how he's so when he he does die and he's just sort of like in a trance thinking about what his past sins are and the security guy kills him ultimately uh, a little bit later it really does feel like Oh, this was a flawed character who, while he technically was on the side of good, like I never got the vibe that he was like this noble, heroic person. And by the time he's dead, it really feels like, oh yeah, he's he's like dying for his sins here. You know, he's he's not just dying on. It's not like yeah. a sad death. It's more like, a, well, it's still sad, but it's sad in like a like this was an inevitable like comeuppance for you as I opposed mean, to. Yeah, it feels to me like. I mean, obviously not the way he died, but it felt kind of like the character of the real life man of Oppenheimer, where he created this awful, horrible thing, this weapon that is just indescribably like destructive. And as he did that, he realized how bad it was. And he spent the rest of his life trying to essentially atone for that, trying to fix it however he could. But obviously, in the end, it wasn't enough. It is interesting because earlier on, we were talking about mutually assured destruction by having, you know, good scanners. We have to have good scanners to fight bad scanners. And we Mm -hmm. kind of compared that to nuclear bombs. So it's interesting that we've we've circled back around to comparing him to Oppenheimer a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of a direct 
parallel that Cronenberg was going for with that. Maybe he was. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a toss up, obviously. But I do think that the idea of somebody regretting that they make something bad is a theme that you see repeated over and over throughout history of someone who mm. goes in with the best intentions, but then ultimately, oops, turns out people are violent and they want to do bad things. Although at the same time, though, you're also taking that and combining it with the fact that the things he created are literally his children, which adds an extra mm-hmm. layer of just like, like awful to it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's one of the, like I said before, I was kind of iffy on whether or not them being brothers was required, whether or not it actually mm. enhanced the story. I don't think it enhanced the story overall, but I think it really strengthened Dr. Ruth's arc in yeah. terms of he not only did he do this to just kids across the nation, he did it to his own children. And that just hits all the more harder that essentially his entire goal now is to use one of his children to kill his other child. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I'd almost like to go back and watch it again with the the ending in mind and like knowing mm-hmm. what the backstory is from the get go. You see, like sort of what other little bits I, I can pick up on. But yeah. Uh, so they they get into the computer, but because it's a concept program, they can't do it. He doesn't have access. So they make the choice to go back to the the company, go back to concept just now. And the security guy is aware they're coming because he's talking to to Revic. Yeah, they basically have made up a plan. They made up a fake thing saying that, uh, oh, what's her name? Kim. Obrist. Yeah, Kim. Uh, she is a informant for Revic. She's able to basically give him, give the contact people all the information on Revic. And Revic's like, no, she isn't. None of my people would flip. None of them are going to be bad. But if she seems like she knows something, you're going to have to kill her. Yeah, yeah. She she hasn't. She's had nothing to do with Revic the whole time. This is just a. Mm-hmm. This is just what they're going to say to the company, so that he can talk to Doctor Ruth and maybe get to the bottom of what the you know who inside the company is actually working with Revic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the company guy does try to kill Ruth. However, uh, Doctor, sorry, he does try to kill Kim. Sorry, but mm-hmm. Ruth made sure that the when they injected them with ephemeral it wasn't actually it was just something harmless it was just like, saline or yeah whatever. so something that wouldn't affect their powers so kim's able to fight back and sort of make him shoot the wall or whatever and then that sets mm-hmm. off an alarm and all chaos breaks loose uh it does feel like dr Ruth's not being completely honest because like, you know cameron's asking questions that are all very valid and he's very conveniently being vague and uh very mysterious about everything and yeah we, like he clearly know like he clearly has heard the the term uh project rape before mm-hmm. you know as much as he says he doesn't know what that is he clearly does because later on he's muttering it as he's like getting ready to die <laughs> yeah we we basically get the sequence where cameron has decided no i have to go save kim we, i have to make sure she's all right it's more important than project ripe and as he leaves we just get this internal monologue, like zoomed in on Dr. Root's face as he just kind of reasons through like, oh, yes, you have to access the program. But the program is the past and the past. We have to access the past. That's the case. And it just seems like this very quick decline of mental state. I'll be honest. Eventually... This was such a cacophony of thoughts that was yeah. presented to us that I, I went back two minutes and listened to it all again when I was watching mm-hmm. the movie just to see if like, did I miss something? Cause I didn't really understand a lot of what he just said. And I went back and listened to it again and it is intentionally quite 
like it, it, again it makes more sense once you get what the backstory is he clearly is mm-hmm. feeling guilty about what he did to to these kids and the fact that he created them this way and abandoned them and like mm-hmm. there's clear guilt there right so it has this there's definitely an air of him accepting his death here and he knows it's coming and it yeah. isn't even necessarily sad about the fact that he's dying he's more just sad about what he's done in his life mm-hmm. before so I, I thought that was some interesting depth to add to the character i, I think it, it gave this like a, an odd bit of weight despite the fact that i really i never really cared that much about cameron i cared about like <laughs> what dr ruth was muttering about because it felt like it had some story behind it yeah absolutely i mean that was probably the most emotion that Stephen Lack showed in his role was yelling, saying like, "No, I have to go get Kim." But like, yeah. even then, it felt wooden. So, and he does sense when Ruth dies, though, because he, he like as soon as the gunshot happens, he sort of like holds his head and he's like, "Ah!" Like, like the connection's been severed, right? Kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Although maybe that's actually not I'm thinking about. Maybe that's an intentional little hint that maybe he felt that happen because it's his father, and that's like a sort of little hint that that's why Revik always knew he had a brother. Is because yeah. there's a there's like a psychic kind of link between them, kind of thing. Possible. I mean, I, if so, it doesn't do any more deeper exploration in it besides that. No. So. No. But yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, it might be. Um, so yeah, after that, we finally get the computer hacking scene oh, yes. because this was Doctor Ruth's idea that a yeah. computer effectively has a nervous system, so you should be able to connect to that just as much as you would another human being so search the mm-hmm. system find all the data you need and and go for it which he does from a phone he goes they go to a pay phone at like a like a garage and yeah. or just outside a garage i should say and he and i'm like okay i guess this makes i guess technically some version of dial-up internet might exist in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean, they're, it, they're doing. The idea that, you know, all these computers exist, they're able to talk to each other through their own internal phone lines. So yes. all he has to do is call in to the building and he can mm. navigate his way through with his mental powers. I did like how this was filmed. Is this, like, close-up mm. of a circuit board that the camera sort of, like, goes past as he's, like, trying to, like, connect to yeah. it? Don't get me wrong. I like how they set it up i like this idea of no you your entire power set basically revolves around manipulating of electrical signals that's essentially Mm. what it all comes down to so you should be able to do that via computers as well my only problem with it is not in the fact of he's able to manipulate computers in a way it's that he's able to get the information from it that's the part that i don't feel like was ever explained human thoughts to human thoughts that makes sense to me we're able to conceive of other people's thoughts but like all he should be getting from these computers is zero one one zero one one and i don't feel like they do a good job explaining Mm -hmm. how he managed to translate that into i've got a list of names here is it possible that because this was made before a lot of people understood computers that much because it when we, when we get to 90s sci-fi where people are mm. doing really, really wild things with computers, and it, it really just comes from a place of the people writing these don't know what computers can actually do. They're just magical boxes to them. Yeah. I do wonder if there's an element of that here. Uh, yeah, like the the computer has a brain, therefore it must be thinking in some way. Which I don't, yeah. think, I don't think it's too egregious in this. Like, this, is, this, this didn't feel as silly as a lot of examples can be of oh, this type yeah. of thing. 
No, no, no. This one treated it a lot better because, like I said, they set it up very well. They did a good job yeah. explaining Plus, how the power set works. And I do love that when we cut back to the company and like, the computer technician guy is like, hey, someone's accessing the system and we can't do anything with it right now. The security mm-hmm. guy like eventually realizes roughly what's happening. He's like, wait, he's linked up to the system. Can we like do something to hurt him when he's linked up. I, I do. I, I did like this idea of them trying to fight him when he's hooked up to the computer by like, yeah. Uh, admittedly, calling it the self destruct of the computer felt a bit hokey. But I mean, I I was kind of hoping that they were going to go full tilt on the idea that this guy doesn't know anything about IT because he's waving a gun around. He's like, "You're <laughs> gonna do this. You're gonna take it out." I kind of wanted him to just be like, "All right, fine, I'll take it out." And you just start shooting the tapes, and all the IT guys are like, "That's." That's not doing anything, sir. You're no. just you're just shooting tapes. Yeah, uh, which all bubbles up to Cameron fighting back, and eventually all the computers in the in the room exploding. Which you know, best best line is that the IT guy is like, they start the self destruct sequence, quote unquote, and the guy's like, sir, it's not actually a self destruct. It's just the tapes. They're just changing position like it's not actually gonna be an explosion (laughs) and he's like yeah okay we'll see about that you've never fought a scanner before and then as the whole thing finally happens the guy's like see no explosion and then everything explodes (laughs) beautiful including actually that's one of my favorite little practical effects because obviously the body Mm -hmm. stuff's great but i love that uh, cameron's holding the phone and it starts mm. like melt the, the the actual handset of the phone starts melting, and you can see like it's sort of like black goo dripping from yeah. it. Uh, and then eventually, the not only does the the garage mm. blow up behind them, which I get because it has you know gas and stuff in it to some extent. The <laughs> phone specifically bef- show yeah, they specifically show the dude dropping the gas yeah. like nozzle, being like, "I'm out of here." Yeah, but the phone booth after they run away from the phone booth, the phone booth itself explodes, and I'm like, "There is nothing in there <laughs> that could possibly combust." It just had that much electricity flowing through it. It was that intense. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I'm not going to lie, oh, yeah. but it, it definitely, it, it was definitely just a silly little detail. Uh, but I enjoyed, this was another great example of like this entire set piece of him hooking up to the computer and them trying to fight it from the computer control room, and then it resulted in all these explosions, both in their end and this end. That was all very entertaining. Just like mm-hmm. the uh, the meeting the scanners with the, the sort of the prayer circle and the car chase that happened after great sort of set piece moments the stuff before when he's fighting the other dudes with the shotguns and he's in the, the head at the artist studio thing also very entertaining all these things in their own are all very compelling things yeah i think my big thing with the pacing of the movie and this is probably another critique i would levy at it is that this feels like we're building up right and mm. then we go to what he's found out from the information he's basically tracked down this doctor to question about how he's given his pregnant patients this drug and mm. of course kim in the, the the waiting room gets scanned and she realizes she's being scanned by the unborn baby inside mm. the pregnant woman right and yeah. it's like okay so we've realized this and that's all fine right so we're, we're building up the plot and then out of nowhere some trank darts come through the window and hit her cameron runs outside and there's uh Revic, there's michael ironside he tranks david and then we wake up in what turns out to effectively be the final scene of of the movie. And mm-hmm. I think I felt like that just kind of came out of nowhere and I didn't feel like we built up to the climax. It felt like we just skipped to it. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like if this were a TV show that all of a sudden they got two episodes shorter on their 
like season mm. and they were like oh we got to bump up the finale let's just get that to here now yeah it, it just felt like we had to build to revic again like okay mm. like like they needed a mission to to go there i don't mind them being like knocked out and taken to revic necessarily but i feel like it had to happen at a more crescendoed moment of the, the the story the structure yeah i think what we were missing was just a true display of revic's uninhibited power we needed something where he was controlling like 10 or 15 people and cameron had to try to fight against that in some way we mm. just needed something that was bigger than everything we've seen before yeah. instead we get a car driving away after shooting trank darts and then revic just standing there yeah like maybe basically a showdown where revic decidedly just wins right and mm. he wins and that's how they get captured but regardless, once he wakes up and he's in Revik's office and Revik's like, hey, this drug from the 40s, this was a thing and this is what led to all the scanners. Yeah. And he talks about daddy and how daddy did this <laughs> and so on and so on. I, I, I do actually love that line where he's like, and you know who did that? And he's like, Dr. Ruth. And he's like, daddy did that. <laughs> like, honestly, the scene's actually very compelling. Like, I have no problems with the scene itself. It just felt like mm -hmm. we skipped to it uh yeah you know rather than building up to it but mm -hmm. uh all the exposition here and the mythology that he he brings up i think the idea of like women uh, you know women pregnant women taking uh like experimental drugs because that's like that was a thing at one point right the idea of like different medicines been advertised to pregnant women and yeah so the the big thing that it correlates to is i think it was back in either the 50s or the 60s there was a drug called thalidomide which was yes. a morning sickness drug that essentially was not tested enough and it resulted in horrific birth defects for like yeah. all the women who took it so yeah, as soon as he said that i'm like okay this is actually this is this is clearly inspired by a real thing because it's, it's making mm -hmm. me think of it. i just couldn't remember what the specifics were okay. um so like I thought, okay, that's an interesting thing to sort of like tie into this and and sort of talk about, um, because you're kind of mixing it because we've been comparing it to making nuclear bombs and then you mix it with that as well. So you you mix it with that David Cronenberg style of body horror, but in this movie, unlike some of his others, the body horror element of it is largely the idea that humans are being made as weapons, um, right. even if that wasn't the intention. Because anyway, uh, Ravik even says that that. Like he, he didn't make this drug to do this. It just ended up being a side effect, and then he became yeah. obsessed with the side effect because it was because that's the thing. That's the reason they have the list of two hundred thirty-seven people. Is that once the drug was applied, they basically backtracked it and said, "Here are all the women who bought that original drug thing, who took it. Here's their children. We can keep track of these people." But now, what the plan that Revic has is essentially we're going to send it out again and we're going to secretly apply to these women to create a whole new generation of scanners that Revic is going to be able to control to essentially take over the world. Yeah. So, uh, all, all that stuff's good. good. Uh, I like mm -hmm. it a lot. And then the final showdown here is a telepath battle where they're mm -hmm. both trying to fight each other and make each other's heads explode. And, the body horror stuff, the practical effects here is these giant veins are bulging out of Michael yep. Ironside's face and arms, and then, like, Cameron's, like, face starts, like, melting at one point, and he's got, like, yeah. parts that are opening up. It's the, just it's great. There was a bit where, like, you see these veins popping up on his wrists, where it's just, you see them traveling out up from under his sleeves. And that one, you can very clearly see the delineation between the makeup the prosthetic mm. that is showing it and the rest of his hand 
But then, like, when it's showing the veins coming up Ironside's face or, like, how Cameron claws off part of his skull, I mean, obviously it is some level of prosthetics, but they blended it perfectly. Like, I couldn't tell any difference between where it started and where it ended. Yeah, and I obviously hear the whole idea is that he wanted Cameron to like be on his side and like join him, you know, come over to the dark side, brother, kind of thing. And- I, it was that entire conversation they had was somewhere in the middle between the Joker and the Dark Knight in the interrogation room, and obviously Darth Vader. Like it was somewhere yeah. in the middle there where he was just like, because the other point that they made was he knew that Cameron was his brother the whole time, and all of the attempts on their life were never aimed at him. It was aimed at all the other people to try to get. It. Cameron to come to Redick. Yeah. So we get this showdown. He's very disappointed that Cameron is not on board, and we we get this 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 battle, and it cuts away. You know, we don't get to quite see the end of it because it wants to do this this ending where Kim wakes up in the next room after being tranquilized, mm-hmm. comes in, sees a charred body on the floor. And we don't know exactly who this is. And then she looks over and there's someone in the corner with a jacket over their head, kind of like covering. Mm-hmm. And then the jacket lifts up and it's, it's Revik. It's Michael Ironside. However, the voice that comes out of his mouth is Cameron who says, I did it. We won. Which implies that in the battle, he he transferred over <laughs> to, to, yeah. to Revik. And his body's gone, but he won the Battle of the Mines because his mind's still the one that exists. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, you could say that maybe this is a trick or something or whatever, but that feels to be what the ending's yeah. really going for. It, it, I mean, there's no reason for him to really play that trick, I don't think. It seems pretty genuine. Yeah. Um, be, I mean, the we described like the blood and stuff rushing up, but then it does this extra thing where flames start shooting out of Cameron's body and hands, he, yeah. you know, yeah, he starts incinerating, but then the poster happens, which <laughs> I didn't know was a poster, but uh, they do this thing where, uh, Revic's eyes go completely white and he's just kind of like stuck in place. And it's such a powerful image. It's such like, I can understand why they use it for the poster, even yeah. though it's so spoilery because it is such a major part of that scene. It's such yeah. a strong well, The good thing about it is it doesn't really spoil anything plot wise. You, you don't really understand the context of it, you know, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, the poster of say planet of the apes, when, whenever you see a new poster of that, like it, yeah. it kind of really gives away something. Whereas th- this on its own doesn't, it's just like, okay, that's a hell of a visual. And then when you finally get to see it, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I see why they did this. Yeah. So and I think it was perfectly paced as well of that. Just, you don't get to see how it ends. You don't see what exactly happens to the bodies. It just fades to white. And then Kim comes into the aftermath. Yeah. It's really good stuff. I, yeah, the ending's really good. I, I, I think when I look back at the movie as a whole, and I like, because Cronenberg usually has some deep, like, themes and messages throughout his films, mm-hmm. and I was looking at this one, and I wasn't really able to nail down what I thought it was like the the main message was. There's definitely things that we've been talking about as we've been through it, and we've talked about, oh, the idea of making weapons and the idea of making like a new race of people and uh, mm-hmm. those people rising up and fighting back and and all these things. Uh, but like, I feel like in Cronenberg's other movies, there's usually one central thing that's clearly the main thing that it's about. With this one, I don't know if there's one that jumps out at me quite as much. 
Well, the one thing that they kept on leaning on at the very end, as Revik was giving out his whole plan of world domination and whatnot, is Cameron fought back with the idea of, you sound just like our dad. You sound mm. just like Dr. Ruth in this idea of being able to control the lives of all these other people and bend their will to yours and such like that. And I feel like that's got to be at least part of the central theme is this idea of despite the fact that scanners are a practically a separate race at this point, separate species, just same way that X-Men were, they are still people. They are still people who should be allowed to live their lives as they see fit, and they shouldn't be conscripted either to the side of good or evil just by the fact that they mm. are this thing, if I had to put it forward. Because I think that's the only reason why they would bring up this idea of a whole other generation is just right around the corner. I mean, we've seen what one scanner can do. You've got 200 of them. You're going to be able to take over the world. So to say that there's this extra generation coming up implies this idea of are you born into this sort of area, this little box that they're putting you in, or are you able to choose your own destiny? And the other thing for me that I was getting from it is the idea of like how overwhelming empathy is. Because Dr. Ruth mm. basically has no empathy, right? That's kind of his character. He, he doesn't care, at least for the most part. He, he's there to do his scientific stuff. He's there to like make a warrior to take on his other son. Like his past his backstory certainly sounds like he's very you know almost sociopathic with the way he approached like his work in his science and all that but the scanners are kind of forced to be empathetic to a point because they're hearing it around them the whole time they're hearing what everyone else is thinking both mm. good and bad and it's about sort of like being able to like process that and like understand it and like respond to it in a healthy way and we see scanners who don't respond to it healthily they go crazy in a, in a hospital and drill holes in their head but then yeah. cameron's supposed to be this character who is tackling it in a way that is more he healthy and he is ultimately coming down this side of yeah like no no like we all should have the choice we should all be able to live our lives like you say as as we want to and not as part of this war that you're putting everyone into so yeah. I think empathy is a big part of it as well, for sure. Uh, but yeah, like I, I just I, when I look at some of his other films where you know Shivers has got the the the, the that's like the one that's like the STD spreading like mm. this uh, almost zombie rape virus and things like that. Like it's very easy to sort of look at that and say, okay, what is it talking about in terms of society and sex and desire and all these things? And then you look My at I don't know, uh, pick another Cronenberg movie. Like, uh, I mean, the last one, the newest one that I watched that has uh, Crimes of the Future is very much this story. It's almost an allegory for himself where he's talking about an artist who's already done so much and people expecting the next thing from you. And if you already said everything you've got to say and, and stuff mm. like that, uh, like yeah. the main theme of that, like just, it was shouting it at me and not in a way where it was too, like like he was being overt about it but more like just on the nose yeah yeah more just that it was it was clearly defined the whole time with this one it kind of felt like okay i can see like a few things that he's juggling here and they're all fitting together relatively well but it, it doesn't quite have that central thing that i was speaking to me the whole time yeah i mean the only other thing that i could throw out there is just looking at the release date here it was released uh mid-january of 1981 literally less than a week before ronald reagan was put in the oval office as mm. president okay so i i 
think that there might be a little subtext here of, you know, we've got this idea of the norm, the conservative values, the stuff like that. I go back to that first scene with that woman who is basically talking about Cameron as if he's a freak just because he looks homeless and whatnot. Um, that strikes like even as I was looking at, I'm like that is straight up like Cameron or uh, what's her name, Thatcher. Um, <laughs> yeah, level of like just complete disregard for any sort of humanity that is different in that way, and. I think that maybe it might be an idea of that of, you know, you get this idea of the other, the the group that is out from the group that is in control of things. And they have to essentially either fight back and do what uh, Revik's doing in order to try to take control back, or they have to try to work within the system, which is what Cameron's doing. But I don't think either way is like the right way to do things. There is no good way to do that sort of thing you know yeah no, I, I can see some some parallels to that yeah the time period it came out is probably important yep so yeah it's an interesting movie i think it's it's 100 minutes uh arguably it could even do with being a little bit longer just to like build up to the climax a bit more but i, I think it it flows well enough in terms of watching it but maybe not as perfectly as it should in terms of its narrative pacing in terms of how it it flows from scene to scene. Yeah, I think that this movie, if it had just one more draft to just really get the interstitials between the scenes, get the flow down right, it would have been in one of the all-time classics. Yeah. As it is, I still think it's quite strong, though. I think it does oh, so yeah. many things well that like, you can definitely see why it's a cult hit. You know, <laughs> it's not as big as an E.T. <laughs> or something like that. But you yeah. can see why it does have a following and why the, enough of it has been is very memorable and has kept it in the... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that gets a special release in every format. There's always... You know, there was mm-hmm. a special edition DVD and then there's a special Blu-ray and I'm sure there's a 4K release. Send the Criterion collection. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, and yeah, like we said, all, all the practical body horror stuff with the, the head explosion, the telepath battle at the end, mm-hmm. uh, all very entertaining and look great. So, yeah, it, it comes with, it, I think it comes as a sort of recommendation, just with, just with the little caveat yeah. that it's not perfect. And uh, But in some ways, this roughness also is kind of endearing because it gives it that a bit of an edge to it as well that maybe wouldn't be there if it was completely yeah, I think, you know put together if that makes sense yeah it's it's a weird little straddling the middle ground where we do want that actual little bit of polish in some aspects but the fact that it does have this grimy feel to it is kind of what makes it its own thing rather than yeah. just every other sort of movie that was being put out so yeah i don't know i don't know i can't say the best way to fix it obviously pacing is a problem but if that were to come at the cost of taking away some of the grime, I'd say keep it as is. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing. So I think we're ready to rate the movie, though. So what would All you right. like to give Scanners out of 10? Ugh, out of 10. Um, I think that Scanners is a... It's a solid 7.5. I think it's it's a very, very good movie. I think that... It has some aspects to it that I like. I think that it's bigger on the ideas that it lays out and the sort of the special effects, obviously, but also the just the the moments in the movie are better than the whole 
of the movie. I think that people can go back and watch this and find moments they really like, but on the whole, it's just not collectively as strong as those individual seconds. So I'm going to say 7.5. Yeah, I I would agree with 7.5. I think it's just, it's not quite in that great territory, but there's a lot of great things in it. So it's all ultimately still quite good and very much worth watching for all the reasons we've mm-hmm. talked about. Uh, but it's this, you know, sometimes people say, you know, something's more than the sum of its parts. This is kind of the opposite <laughs> where yeah. it's, it's not quite what the sum of its parts should be. But those parts are very, very good and yep. uh, very much worth seeing. So as far as making the collection goes... Uh, that's on a totally different shell. Oh, yeah. That's collector's cut. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say it makes the collection for anyone who's curious. Yeah, this is, that's, that's fair. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Uh, so David will do his homework in a little bit. We'll find out what movie he's watched. But before he does mm-hmm. that, I'll just tell you all about patreon.com slash TV. Uh, there's two monthly bonus shows that me and David do, one at the $3 and up tier, one at the $5 and up tier. Uh, the first is the Criterion Cut, where we review movies from the Criterion Collection. Technically, this one could have been on that show, but mm. it's science fiction, so it's here instead. So, yeah. very good. Uh, but we also have Extra Reels, which is the show where we do some of the worst movies of all time. That's where you'll find us doing Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau mm. and yep. <laughs> things of that nature. So... <laughs> Uh, if that's of, of interest to you, you can go check out that. Um, so, and there's also a bonus Screams After Midnight show every month uh, and some other stuff as well. Me and Connor do a video game podcast every month. Bunch of stuff on Patreon if you want to support all the content. Keep it all coming and get some extras for your for your time and money. Uh, by all means, go do so. Uh, if you can't, don't feel too bad. You can support us for free by liking, subscribing, rating the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Share us on the social medias or whatever. All good stuff. But yes, every episode, for the time being, David is doing mm. some homework, which is, means he's going back and watching a movie that me and Tara did on the show before he came aboard. So David, yes. why don't you tell us what movie you watched for this week? Well, I got to thinking, you know, a lot of these homeworks, I'm trying to do 80s movies mm-hmm. because we have a countdown coming up. And I thought, what's another good 80s movie that has fantastic practical effects and also significant pacing problems. I picked episode 132, which is Dune. <laughs> okay. All right. Yep. Very good. So, yeah, obviously Dune Part 2 will be coming up on this show eventually. I just needed to get this out of the way before that came along, along with Dune Part 1 again eventually. Um, but, yeah, no, this uh, I had never seen Dune 84 before. I have heard of its legend of being just impenetrable and so out there and honestly i was pleasantly surprised at what i saw i didn't think it was a uh i'll say i liked it more than i thought i was going to based on the reputation it's still a mess it's absolutely Mm -hmm. a mess it it rushes through things however when that electric guitar kicks in and he's riding (laughs) the worm it's hard not to be like yeah you know what yeah i'm kind of into this yeah. yeah, absolutely. But no, that's that was my major problem was the special effects. Great. I even enjoyed the sort of big ideas with all the different families and different guilds or whatever fighting against each other. The biggest problem came down to the fact that it was two hours and 10 minutes where it needed to be like four hours minimum, because that's <laughs> as soon as you hit the halfway mark in the movie, it still feels like they're throwing out exposition. It still feels like we're setting things up. 
but then the second half just sprints to the finish. It just immediately throws all sort of pacing out the window. And I kept on waiting because for people who've seen it, the opening shot is of this princess who's just delivering exposition to you. She's just literally staring at the camera saying, here's the st- like world thus far. She's also, she she's never- also, she's also a face in the sky. She's like, in, it's like a face yeah. floating in space. And it keeps like fading in and out between it and the star field. But then she just never has another line in the entire movie. And that, baffled me i kept waiting for her to become important and she just never did you just see her again but she's yeah she never really yep. does anything <laughs> yep but yeah no i think uh i think dune was much more accessible than i expected it to be obviously it has significant problems but i can see why it became such a cult hit i can see why there was this group that saw it and became just immediately invested started reading the books and stuff like that it, it's it's got something special to it same sort of way that scanners does there's this extra little something to it that's i can see why people latch on so overall rating wise i'd say that one's a another 7.5 i actually really did enjoy it it's a glorious mess mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's, that's my that's my review of doing in, in a nutshell yep. uh glorious mess all right well there you go that's uh, david's homework for another week uh we'll find mm-hmm. out what he does as homework next time uh next regular episode though i didn't tell you what was coming next i should do that yep. that's, that's usually something i do so next week on the show, we will be looking at Shin Godzilla, which mm-hmm. uh, I've not seen before, and I've been looking forward to. It. I've seen really, I've seen most of the Japanese Godzillas. Uh, okay, maybe one or two I've not seen, but uh, for whatever reason, I never get around to Shin Godzilla. So I'm actually quite excited to uh, to see it. This is this is a first then because I've actually seen Shin Godzilla twice, once <gasps> in the Japanese and once in the English. So. I mean, yeah. Did the English viewing like give you a perspective that you needed? <laughs> it allowed me to watch the movie without actually having to give it my full attention to read the subtitles. That's okay. what that viewing was for, more or less. All right, all right. Well, Shinkazilla is next. And uh, yes, if you're wondering if that means we're going to do minus one before we get to the the new American Godzilla movie, then uh, Mm -hmm. yes, uh, don't -hmm. worry, that's coming. But we won't tell you when. It'll sneak right up on you. Yeah. I've already seen that by the time... uh, uh, By the time you get this episode, I'll have seen Godzilla minus one, but we won't have Mm -hmm. done it yet. But I'll, I'll, I'll know what my opinion is, but I don't know what it is as I record this because I've not seen it yet. So it's a whole time warp situation like i said time machine i don't understand how it works yeah i don't understand either uh yeah. but yeah shin godzilla is next week so look forward to that that's the show everyone that has been the atomic cinema experiment hopefully you had uh, a fun time with us going through scanners and giving our thoughts and feelings on it and trying to make sense of <laughs> what, it, what it was doing uh but let us know what you think of the movie in the comments and we'll see you guys next time so keep watching science fiction and computer at salsa